We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it is time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Sacramento Kings. Currently the two-seed in the Western Conference, although would be the sixth if they were in the East. Um, These are the two teams that have been the most fun stories, probably the most rewarding uh, seasons for their respective fan bases that have not experienced a lot of success this century, um, as well as um, some fun stories starring not so big stars. You know, the neither team has a superstar, although, you know, you you rate Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle or De'Aaron Fox, you know, however high as you want. That's between you and your God. Uh, but that being said, um, these are two... Very cool stories that have happened in the NBA this season. And it made sense to reach out to friend of the pod, Brendan Nunez, who has been on here before talking about, you know, the best case scenario for the Kings and how tough the last 20 years has been for them. And, uh, you know, when John talks down to the 2013 Knicks and the mellow era because he hated Carmelo Anthony and always will. If I misrepresented you, John, I don't care. Um, and Brennan has responded with like, yeah, I would have killed for that type of season. 54 games, three straight playoff appearances. Uh, Brennan's a good dude. And uh, he and the people over at the Kings Herald do a lot of great work. Um, and this season has been a really fun one because they've gotten to cover a really fun team that is really great on offense or top five and just about everything. And they're really bad on defense. So every game is first to 140. So let's get into it. My conversation, previewing the Knicks' upcoming matchup with the Sacramento Kings, the first of this West Coast road trip with Brendan Nunes of the podcast, The King's Pulse, and the blog, The King's Herald. Enjoy. Joining me now here on the Knicks Film School pregame show. Well, it was almost perfect that these two teams could have played together, riding the highs of what these seasons have been. The two most fun, best stories in the NBA. Nothing like the 20 and 46 Charlotte Hornets to to ruin that party. But these two teams do come in um, 
outperforming expectations, what we'll say from before the season. Uh, one team, our Knickerbockers, come into this game, uh, winners of nine of their last 10, let's call it, and uh, 39 and 28. And then you go to Sacramento, where the Sacramento Kings have the best re- best offensive rating in NBA history and are currently slated as the two seed in the Western Conference. And joining me to preview this game, friend of the pod, Brendan Nunes. Brendan, how you doing and how you feeling? I'm doing good. I'm not used to hearing those type of intros. Usually they're very like, you know, I feel bad for you. Like, I'm sorry that you're going through <laughs> it this season. And I feel like you could probably relate the last handful of seasons. Um, but the, I mean, just hearing second in the West is crazy to me. That only happened last night with that Grizzlies loss. And a lot of Kings fans were torn because I guess they technically had to root for a Lakers win. But mm-hmm. I think if you pitched it as rooting for a Grizzlies loss, it was maybe a little bit easier for some people to stomach. But I'm doing good, man. It's uh, a long time since I feel like both of our teams have been in the conversation that they are currently in. Yes. And I should mention, by the way, you're host of the King's Pulse, the uh, the part of the Blue Wire podcast network. And the vibes around New York have been off the charts. Jalen Brunson called them immaculate. Um, and look, as someone who stays up late to to do a ton of editing and with a subscription to League Pass, my favorite team to tune into because it's usually first to 150 is the the Sacramento Kings and their their games seem fun. Uh, light the beam, as they say, is that, that nail that it's light the beam is what yeah. it's called. Yeah, it's so copyright and everything. Copyright and everything. Um, it's been one of the 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 coolest stories to see with all these other teams that. May, may not when I say more interesting, I just mean like there's more things to talk about other than they're good, you know. Like the 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 Mavericks have other stuff with Kyrie now joining the team. Obviously Phoenix, obviously the Lakers, obviously the Clippers, and this you know this example of consistency in Sacramento. Uh, I wonder how the the vibes are with with. So here's how I want to ask this question about the Kings, because I'd imagine that. It's fun to have a team that is just like consistently good, but does it get annoying that other teams get talked about more and the Kings are just like, ah, well, come playoff time, they'll disappear. No, I I mean, I think it's understandable. And like, to be honest, I kind of fall into that a little bit too. I don't know about Uh disappear, but the greatest offense of all time when it comes to offensive rating is great. You're also still 25th in defensive rating. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, a race to 150, or I guess more realistically, maybe like 130 sort of thing. They had a game where they're putting up 175, 176, and you come Most out. Most entertaining on top. game of the season, by the way. Phenomenal game. Yeah. And that's double overtime. You know, it's not regulation sort of score or anything, but I always pitch it as they're good enough offensively to win any night, but they're bad enough defensively to lose any night. So I never know how to feel going into any given game. And I think it's one of the interesting parallels with this team is that both are led by coaches that are typically looked at in years prior as defensive first coaches and are primarily getting it done on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different for both of these guys. And I think a credit to both of them that they're able to succeed in areas that maybe they weren't traditionally looked at as um, aspects that they specifically had strengths in as head coaches. But I understand why For example, there's a reporting that comes out that the Lakers are like hoping to get the Kings in the first round, right? Mm. And the Lakers should maybe just worry about making the the play in first. But Yeah, making the first round, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, But 
I understand. Like when you look at the top four in the Western Conference and you're talking Denver, Sacramento, Memphis, and Phoenix, why would anybody not be circling Sacramento out of that group? You know, even Coach Brown himself has talked about like the lack of substantial high pressure postseason experience that this team has. Like it's it's Harrison Barnes, who that was years ago at this point. It's been quite a while since Harrison Barnes has been in the postseason. Matthew Delavadova is not exactly playing on this team, but I guess you could count that. He gets to talk about it. After that, you have Kevin Herter, who's had a couple of experiences with um, the Atlanta Hawks, specifically a big game seven that kind of, in my mind, I like to pitch it as he's the reason that Ben Simmons is no longer in <laughs> Philadelphia, even though I know that's a little bit of a stretch, but there's really not much postseason experience here. There's DeMontis Sabonis, who I think has a couple different first round exits, but I, I absolutely understand why it is that way. And it's going to take a decent playoff showing before that narrative changes. And I think that's understandable. I want to touch on that in a second, but what I meant by disappear, and I think like Knicks fans get this a ton with like, there's a lot of conversations around the Knicks and the run that they've been on and like they've beaten a ton of good teams, which I think is why a lot of people are just kind of confused at what this ceiling is. But that's more what I'm talking about that. Like what's the ceiling on this Kings team and this, this season and, and where, where it could go. And I'll just, I'll kind of ask you, what do you think the ceiling on this season is as, as we sit here and they're the, currently the two seed. Yeah, man, it's a tough question. I guess I honestly haven't thought about it much. I'm kind of, my question to myself recently, a lot has been like, will they get out of the first round? And I think that that is a tough question, which I know sounds crazy for a team that is currently sitting in the second spot. But I think just what I walked through previously, where they're sitting defensively, they're genuinely horrible on that end. Most nights um, they can. I, I think uh, this is a couple games old at this point, but they were seventh in defensive rating in the fourth quarter. So if, if you can lock in for a quarter, or 20 minutes in this game, I think that they are good enough to be competitive late in games. And you have what's been the best clutch scorer in the league right up there with, I, I believe, Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. Um, De'Aaron Fox, that like that's a decent recipe, right? But I think that that and the lack of postseason experience has me more thinking, can they get out of the first round? I would be really hesitant to ever think that they could get out of the second round. In my mind, that's the ceiling. But if you want to talk absolute ceiling, there's a world where they get to the conference finals, I guess. I would bet on it, but they've been playing well and their offense genuinely is good enough that they could beat any team if they decide to lock in defensively for 20 plus minutes any night. Yeah, the this is what a loss will do to you sometimes and it's humble and it will be humble you. Um like the Knicks obviously had a nine game winning streak and then lost to the Hornets. And now we can talk realistically again about what the ceiling of this team is, because even if you get past Donovan Mitchell in that four or five matchup, if you stay in that four or five matchup, um, most likely the Eastern conference champs, which the Knicks did beat three out of four times this season, the Celtics are waiting for you or, you know, Giannis and this, this, Milwaukee team that probably would have beaten that Celtics team last year if they had Middleton will be waiting for you. And now we can say, like, I will sign up right now for the second round if that's the absolute ceiling. Um, this conference finals talk might be premature. Although, look, the, the way the Knicks play people competitively, I'm not going to put anything past them. Um, I will say with the Kings that 
and, and look, this this just comes from doing like 20 or so of these pregame pods. Um, every fan base that I've talked to and at least tried to to get a, a, a temperature check on has had something to complain about the coach. And a lot of that interest in like, does it happen everywhere else is because the thing that I think has been the most polarizing over the last two seasons here in Knicks land is the head coach. And while I have my quibbles and I have my things I want to praise him about, I just like, I just wonder how much it matters, you know, at the end of the day. And then I look at Sacramento and I wonder, is there anything to complain about with the head coach? He's the front runner for coach of the year. Like you said, revolutionized the offense and, and kind of created a play style. I didn't know that we had in him. Do Kings fans have anything to complain about with Mike Brown and like how much like has changed in like, like what he's instituted uh, this season? I can't think of any complaint for okay. Mike Brown. You know, there's there's a the couple first people time that for like, everything, everybody. OK, right. There, there's a couple people on socials that will always find something to complain about. Right. But mm-hmm. those are absolutely like the the minority. I, I, when Coach Brown came in, I found myself listening to, and this says how good the season's going, when I'm re-listening to Coach Brown's introductory presser and <laughs> reflecting back on how good it was. And like, he's kind of implemented everything he wanted, but he was so vocal about making a good culture that was going to be long lasting. And he came from Golden State, obviously, fresh off a championship. I think he's got four rings at this point. Uh, he jokes about getting one more. So that way there's one for the thumb as well on one hand. but he's came in and just totally changed everything, especially after the last handful of seasons of dysfunction. You know, Dave Yeager was, I think he did a decent job. He was also known for sort of the grit and grind in Memphis and then came in as super high paced offense, the first year of Marvin Bagley and kind of continuing on from there. But there was a sort of rift between him and assistant general manager that ended up leading to, it's you could go into a whole lot of dysfunction that happened with Sacramento within the last couple of years, but there's that. Then you go to Luke Walton, which didn't go well. He wasn't allowed to bring in uh, much of the supporting staff that I think he would have wanted to, which maybe dealt him a little bit of a bad hand. Not saying that Luke Walton would have been a good coach with good circumstances, but there's that. Um, Alvin Gentry, I always explain him, felt like a sort of fun substitute teacher. I really enjoyed covering Alvin Gentry, but that was definitely just a placeholder. Mike Brown has been phenomenal, man. You know, the three things that he pointed out coming in were that he wanted to implement a vertical and horizontal alignment of trust, um, that he wanted to implement a set of values that are led and upheld by the leaders, which starts with himself. And he's always talked about like, eventually I want the players to be the ones out there coaching themselves. And I think we've started to see that a little bit. And the last thing has been an embracement of your role. And I think we've absolutely seen that. Like I've never seen a coach and it's only been about three, four years for me that I've been covering this team, but I've never seen a coach optimize their players so much. Like I feel like Trey Lyles is a decent example. There's a, there's a couple, but Trey Lyles specifically when they acquired him from Detroit last year, I was talking with a couple of Detroit people and they're like, man, you're going to get sick of his pump fakes. Mm. He, he just pump fakes nonstop. Right. And Trey and coach very specifically told us that, there was a communication between them that coach said, when we were in Golden State, we all knew you wanted to pump fake. So everybody closed out soft on you. 
you need to shoot the ball or people are going to play you like that forever. And now Trey Lyles has a quick trigger and he's able to put the ball on the floor and convert from there. And he's challenged him on rebounding and different things like that. And that's a specific example, but Mike Brown has been so good about optimizing all of his players. I think there's a clear line of communication that make people understand and embrace those roles willingly. So there's really no complaints about the coaching staff from Sacramento side, which is weird. You know, I, I don't count on that last thing. At some point, people will be at least a little more accustomed to winning or I guess have higher expectations. And then maybe the conversation will get different. But in my mind, he's odds on favor for coach of the year for a very good reason. Yeah. The, just a war, just a heads up, a warning. Um, Tibbs won coach of the year, his first year with the Knicks and last year, by the all-star break was getting calls for his job. So you're right that the expectations do change. Um, You wonder just like the progression also, like it has to, it can't go backwards. You know, the progression has to take a step up. And I wonder if more steadiness with some other teams in the, in the West next season, if that will create, you know, just kind of a natural regression that has nothing to do with the Kings. But look, I, I admire the, the fact that, like you said, he optimizes certain players in place to their strengths. That's actually a, a criticism of the Knicks. Like they just couldn't figure out how to use Cam Reddish. And while the defensive numbers and the defensive eye test has proven to still be a problem in Portland, he's clearly, you know, an offensive weapon um, being used for them. Um, he just has not figured out how to use Obi Toppin, even though. You know, some of the advanced metrics show that there is a more impactful player than the 12 minutes that he's playing at night. And you really kind of have to fit into like be a Tibbs guy and fit into his system. And to their credit, like the system, like they finally got a rotation that guys have bought into and a system that is working. And, you know, I, I, it seems like in Sacramento, they created guys that they created a system that fit multiple players. And it bears out in the numbers with how efficient they are. Now, look, I do these top fives where I write down everything that the opponent is top five in when I, when I do research for these, these pregames, um, assist to turnover, their fifth assist ratio, their third effective field goal percentage, second true shooting percentage, first, uh, uh, true shooting first points per game. First, um, just across the board, offensively, um, they've been they've been outstanding. So that's a credit to to. It's not just like they're good offense; it's that they're an efficient offense too. Which you know we'll see how how sustainable it is. Um, you brought up you brought up the Aaron Fox and how clutch he's been this year. And so I'll ask you. It's kind of a two parter, but like. Tell me something about the Aaron Fox that makes him great, like for the first 43 minutes. And then what makes what what level does he go to in those last five that has made him an elite player this year? I think one of the big things, because De'Aaron didn't play, I think it was only last game. He's missed a handful of games this season. But like, for example, Kevin Herter has been on a heater recently. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that you miss having De'Aaron out there specifically, obviously when DeMontis Sabonis is on the bench, they definitely stagger those guys and you won't hardly see any minutes, if any at all, where neither one of those guys are on the floor. But I think for example, when Kevin Herter is really going, De'Aaron Fox does a great job of setting him up, right? Take that what the defense gives you. If, if they're focusing too much on Herter, then uh, De'Aaron is able to get to the basket and finish at a absolutely ridiculous rate. But I think he's so good at setting other guys up. And I really think he could, 
do, and, and Mike Brown has acknowledged this as well, I think he could do what he does in the fourth quarter all game, to be honest, if he wanted to. But there's been so much of an emphasis of, I mean, similarly to how you've seen Golden State play the last handful of years, that like the ball is power and energy. And I think that the more hands that it touches, the more that people are engaged. And that has been such a big emphasis for this team. So I think that one of the biggest things for De'Aaron this year is just sensing the moment that if they are struggling to get buckets, that maybe there needs to be three, four possessions in a row where he just takes matters into his own hands. And I think at the end of games, that's always the case, right? That you just need somebody that's going to go out there and make something happen. And that's exactly what De'Aaron does. So I genuinely think he could do what you see in that fourth quarter all game long, if you really wanted him to, but that's not the most sustainable thing when it comes to getting production from the rest of your team and just hiring one singular guy out too much. But his mid range game is as efficient as it gets in the NBA. That's what feels like automatic. You know, the, the three point shot did take a little bit of a jump this year, but it's not, phenomenal or anything like that. It's really that mid-range. He's 51% on mid-range shots. His his floater push shot is right up there, I think, with John Morant as two of the best guys in the league when it comes to that. And 77% at the rim is just ridiculous for a guy that's 6'3". So I think the way that he is able to control the pace of the game, not only in the ha- in the full court, obviously, being one of the, f- if not the fastest guy in the league, but also in the half court, he he's just phenomenal as a shot creator, man. And I think he's so good at setting other people up. And it, it's also very underrated the screens that DeMontis Sabonis sets. You know, I don't I don't mean to go full Rudy Gobert here, but the screen assist mm. with DeMontis Sabonis is is ridiculous. Um so I, I think having a guy that's able to free you up with those sort of screens is is very impactful as well. And and there's a little bit of a sneaky connection of them both being left handed and optimized by playing on the same side of the floor, you know, so Nick's got a couple of left-handers on their side that's as well. So that's almost a carbon copy where they're, well, they're RJ Barrett came into the season as kind of a third guy. So it was really three guys that were left-handed and, you know, it was, it was a bit at the beginning of the season of like, are they all just going to be going to the left and the, the court will just, that type of balance will just be, you're guarding everybody to their right. Um, but to your point about, like it can't just be one person, especially with him as the point guard. And I guess the emphasis through the offense of spreading the wealth and making sure everybody is, is on a heater. Um, I've got their cleaning the glass page open right now. There are four Kings in the top 80th percentile. Um, in fact, top 84th percentile in points per shot attempt. And that's a bonus. That's Barnes. That's Herder. That's Darren Fox. Um, all of them average at least 120 points per shot attempt. And that is a testament, I guess, not just to the system working, but to the point guard being okay with and making sure everybody else is getting involved. Um, the Sabonis Fox um, duo, you know, I, I mean, you just mentioned the Knicks have another pair of left handed duos that's really been their big two this season with Randall and, and, and Brunson. And while Randall will probably get the all NBA nod if a Nick is to make all NBA and he got the all-star nod over Brunson and like impact wise, he, 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 he grades out as a more impactful player. You look at importance and it's absolutely Jalen Brunson, especially like come crunch time. Like the last night was a perfect example against the Hornets. You know, the Knicks just needed somebody to, to, to calm what was going on, like to weather the storm 
and they just didn't have it with Brunson out. Um, is there a similar dynamic with Fox and Sabonis where like Sabonis more for the fact that like it's, it's centers, it's easier to make all NBA as a center, but is it where like Sabonis will grade out as more impactful, but the more important player is Fox. I definitely viewed Sabonis as the more important player earlier in the year, Mm -hmm. but seemingly like five games pre all-star break and onward, it feels like it's been De'Aaron. And I don't know if there's a little bit of an edge because he didn't make the all-star team in like the traditional way. Mm-hmm. It was an injury replacement. I don't know if there's an edge because of that. De'Aaron would tell you that he always gets better this time of year, which has been the case. And maybe it's just noticed more right now because Sacramento's in a position where these games actually matter and they're on people's radar. But I would probably give like when it comes to all NBA, I think that Domas is third team all NBA and I don't think it's particularly close, right? Especially with centers still being part of that. If I'm not wrong, Um, I think it's Jokic and bead and then Sabonis. And I don't think there's anybody else all that close. Like Anthony Davis is great. I don't think he's played enough games. If a heat fan was watching this, he would say out of bio, but I would, I personally would lean Sabonis as well. Just looking at, I mean, the defensive side of the ball doesn't matter to me, but I, I would lean, like you said, towards Sabonis if I was a tiebreaker. Yeah. And I I think Adebayo is probably like the fourth guy to me, but I I do think that Domas deserves that nod. Um, I I think when it comes to importance, it, I I tend to point more so towards the backups for both of these guys. And I Mm. think that, Sacramento's backup bigs has been an issue all season long. And sometimes they find ways to make it work. Chemezi Metu's kind of been the guy they're going towards and not great defensively and sort of has his lulls offensively as well. But I think Davion Mitchell is more of a can fill in as a starter than you'd rather see a Chemezi Metu or if they want to go towards like a Trey Lyles, for example. So I think when it comes to the surrounding roster construction, I would say that DeMontis Savonis feels more irreplaceable, but importance wise, like late in games, you really need De'Aaron Fox. I, I think that I hope that his acknowledgement come the end of the season. While DeMontis Savonis in my mind is that all NBA conversation that De'Aaron can get acknowledged with that Jerry West clutch player of the year award. And I know uh, Knicks fans will uh, maybe bark back a little bit on that one, understandably so, but that is extremely important. And Coach Brown has talked about like it's just so much easier for a perimeter guy to be those creators late in games than a a big. You know, teams for decades now have gotten accustomed to doubling in the post. And doubling guards is just so much more difficult with the handle they have, specifically the speed that De'Aaron has and and obviously Brunson has as well. So I think when it comes to roster construction, Sabonis is a little more irreplaceable, but just general play styles and importance, like they're pretty neck and neck. Yeah. The you're right. First of all, the, if I were to say that, like who would I choose between Brunson and, and, uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox, because he plays for my team, I'd choose Jalen Brunson. Um, I'm sure your argument would also go the same way for the guy that plays for your team as well. Um, yeah. Julius is more of a creator to your point. So, him being able to to run an offense through him rather than, you know, kind of depending on screens with Sabonis and he's coming at it from a different position on the floor as well um, would probably be the, the biggest difference. 
For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Knicks fans? Power up for springtime with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Get nutritious, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter what your lifestyle, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie-smart, vegan veggie, and protein-plus meals on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 36 quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper, but meals are ready quicker than restaurants delivery. Just two minutes. Also, eating vegan or veggie is a snap with Factor. Each meal has all the ingredients you want and nothing you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, 
You can add a protein to your vegan and veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and use the code filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Again, that's factormeals.com slash filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Curious about this matchup t- tomorrow night because, like, as as it currently stands, I have no idea if Jalen Brunson's going to play. My guess is he will. He hasn't played since Friday against Miami, and the Knicks go into this game coming off a loss. Now you don't want it to compile as they go on a West Coast trip, but um, man, if he does miss, that will be the the time to sound the alarms for Knicks fans. Um, I usually ask my whoever I, I bring on for these, their thoughts on the Knicks. Um, Julius Randle set his career high for points in, in a game last year when he went to uh, uh, to Sacramento. And he did it mostly on threes. I'll tell you, he's, he's tied the, the... He hit eight threes in that game, if I remember right. And he's done that like three times this season. Like that's been a thing, his commitment to taking more threes this year. Um, so I guess knowing that, do you have, what are your thoughts on the Knicks? And do you have like any questions about like what the secret to their success has been this season? You know, I think it being done on the offensive end, as I kind of said earlier, and it being a Thibodeau led team is, is pretty intriguing to me. And I will say I'm a lot more comfortable with the Western conference than I am the Eastern. I feel like that's just kind of the nature of, of how we, um, the, the amount of teams that we see being, Mm -hmm seems like cover the East and West uh, separately, but I do really like Jalen Brunson, man. I, it stands out to me that last year, I think Davion Mitchell, who came in in the year and was already getting touted as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league in isolation. He got asked like, who is the toughest guy for you to guard? And he pretty quickly said Jalen Brunson actually. Mm. And I think at the time last year, it was like, really, you know, but now that doesn't look all too crazy but just highlighted how strong he is, how crafty he is, great footwork for a guard, and just so fundamental. So I, I'd love to see Brunson coming into his own. And that Julius Randle game last year, man, I just remember like, I mean, this is also when the Kings just were not, it's not that far removed, I guess, but it wasn't surprising that like somebody was going to come in and have a career high against the Kings, but he just was hitting everything. And it was in ridiculous fashion. These aren't spot up threes. These are off the dribble step back threes. And you're like, what is happening right mm. now? Um, I, I have a buddy that went to that game, actually. I think it was one of the only games he went to last year. And he still talks about that Julius Randle performance all the time. It was just absolutely ridiculous. But I, I love that he's been so phenomenal and the rebounds that he's able to put up as well. The playmaking from a big, especially having Sabonis on the roster, like I can have an appreciation uh, for how valuable that really is. And I, I got to say, I'm a big Josh Hart guy, too. You know, to go back oh. to rebounding as well when it comes to guards. I loved his quote yesterday as well, just as a person and that sort of perspective that he's able to place. Dude, um, the, the, hold on. The Josh Hart thing is almost out of control. It's almost like the, the quote he had after the game, for those who didn't hear it, um, he was asked, like, could fatigue have played a factor in the reason why you lost to the to the Hornets? And he was like, Man, we're playing a we're playing a game. This is basketball. There are people getting up at six a.m. doing twelve hour shifts, which speaks to so many people in this city. That's like is personified by hard work. You know, like 
it, it, it so much embodied like the new place that he lives that it just entrenched him even more into our hearts that yes, aside from being just an impactful basketball player and the new closing wing that we can, we can replace Quentin Grimes with while I kind of like Quentin Grimes and like what ceiling he could eventually have. Uh, yes, I agree. Josh Hart is amazing. In fact, the we couldn't make the shirt because copyright, but the I Heart New York is like kind of a perfect uh, thing for for when he came here. Um, but continue the other, other things you like about the Knicks, you know? Yeah, and I think a lot of people chase after Hart for good reason. Come the this most recent deadline, but. Mm-hmm. I guess my question to you would be like, where, how, how do you feel about this team defensively? Because like I said, for Sacramento, while they're phenomenal offensively, they're genuinely horrible defensively and, and just kind of quick glances at some of the Knicks numbers. I think basketball has, reference has them right middle of the pack defensive rating 15th. Um, but how have you felt that they've performed on, on that end of the floor? So to give you an idea of how this season has gone, they came out of the gate with Derrick Rose as the backup point guard. Uh, Cam Reddish was playing a ton of minutes for the first two months of the season. Uh, Evan Fournier was a starting two because Quentin Grimes was hurt. Um, Mitchell Robinson got hurt, I want to say, eight games into the season and then missed three weeks. Um, they were 10 and 13. In fact, your own Weitzman, who wrote the book, uh, Tanking to the Top and now writes for Fox Sports, um, did an article yesterday um, it dropped about that that day that they fell to 10 and 13 that Tibbs apparently told a friend, like, I think they're going to fire me. And since that moment, December 4th, if you sort their stats since then, like the Magic have a date that is similar where if like you sort their, their stats since then, it's much better. Um, they're eighth in defense. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Derek Rose got taken out of the rotation. Um, can't, uh, Evan Fournier got taken out of the rotation and please don't yell at me. Cam Hive, Cam Reddish got taken out of the rotation. Um, They shortened it to nine. And the only reason they're honestly as low as eight is because Mitch broke a bone in his hand and missed three weeks. You know, like outside of that, their defense has actually been pretty great. And that's, I think the biggest thing is that they, they play a lot of drop, drop coverage with their centers. Um, sometimes Julius gets put in the drop, which you don't like because he actually is good when he's switching. It gives him less time to think. Um, and now that they have these wings um, between Hart and Grimes and Quickly and Barrett and even like Jalen Brunson to his to his credit, like, he's never going to be like a lockdown defender, but like he tries, which is like all you can ask for from a really small guard. He might get switched into some pick and rolls, which is you know, not ideal, but I, I'm honestly more worried about that come playoff time. And he's so much more impactful offensively that it, it overrides any defensive liability that he is. I actually think they're defensively they're they're a lot better than what their defensive rating would say. Um, especially when you sort it from December, that December fourth date, where they're 29 and 15 since then, with um, one of the I believe it's the second best net rating and the eighth best defense. Yeah, second best net rating. Eighth best defense and third best offense. So that's that's the biggest thing I could say about their defense is like this is two different seasons in one. What the Knicks have had. It's the first twenty three games and it's the forty four games since. It makes sense, and you know to have these records at right below us for anybody watching on YouTube and the standings to be so different, where the mm-hmm. Kings are sitting at second and New York sitting at fifth. I think speaks to the difference in, in both of these conferences and. 
also does place a very different feeling on these seasons in my mind. Like the Kings fans are riding a crazy high right now after moving into second last night. Um, but that defense that I think New York is is able to roll out is probably more encouraging when it comes to any sort of postseason stuff. And Mitchell Robinson makes a lot of sense. And I'll say, because I'd imagine you'd get a lot more crap than I would have to deal with. I don't really like the cam hive is going to hate me, I guess. I think uh, that was your wording. Yes. I, is he, I, he's not, he's not good, man. Like what, if you keep getting he traded, it he said it, not keep me. getting traded for nothing, you're probably not very good. You know, I, I just don't, it's crazy to me. And I guess I'm going on a rant. I'll sure I'll get a lot of crap for this, Take it. but it's crazy to me that so many people are still all about cam reddish when there's plenty of, general managers that had opportunities to trade for him and didn't add very clearly what was a low price. So that's my little Cam Reddish rant, I guess. I don't understand the hype. So I think there's there's certain players that... Like, you saw this with Wiseman, and I forget what pod I was listening to, but, like, good organizations can, like, can fail... Not necessarily fail a player, but not know how to optimize a player. Like I, the Warriors have been like the standard of excellence for the last decade. And they took a guy second overall and they couldn't, like he couldn't stay on the court and they couldn't figure out what to do with him when he was on the court. And because they're emphasized, they're emphasizing winning and trying to like make another finals run out of this team. Um, they felt it was not worth their time to try and develop a James Wise and who seemed much more like a project. You saw this with Markel Fultz with, with Philly, who just clearly needed to go someplace and make all the mistakes and work through all of his confidence issues. And he's, and look at him now, he's like a productive starting point guard for a team that is like hovering around the plane and might be hovering around like playing contention, playoff contention next season. Um, if the, if Paolo takes a step and you know, if they, the lottery works out well, um, Ben Simmons, like that's a whole different other thing that, 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 that has to happen, but he probably would do well to go to a team. And it's just like, work out every single kink that you have, whether it's three point shooting, whether it's shooting at all, like just, there's no pressure. Like you, you, we do not care if we win. We care about you getting better. And I think that's what Cam needed. Like he was in Atlanta. He was the thing that they traded Luka Doncic for. Like he was the second pick that they took. So that pressure was on him. Then he comes to New York. Tibbs, like this is this showed the function of last season. They never really, I guess, consulted him about can you use this player. It was like, all right, sure, trade for him. I currently have 10 men in my rotation. You're trading somebody that's not in my rotation. And to his credit, he gave Cam an opportunity this year and he played somewhat well. And then like the numbers just bear out that this team was was better when he left the rotation. I'm not sure if it's a cause and effect thing. There were moments I even said, I wonder what Cam could have brought to this bench that all you have to do is switch to a zone and they can't score. And now in Portland, you see they're not going anywhere. I, whether they should be trying to win games in Dame's prime is another story. But like he'll have a 24-point game in a loss. And it's like, okay, you, the offense is still there. He's getting his reps in. And I think that's a, what, what a, a player like that... Like Cam Thomas has had two DMPs and played seven minutes in his last three games, but has those three straight 41 point games this season. And I think that's the tough part with players like that, that clearly are gifted offensively, but there are other things that you need in order to be a winning player. 
in the NBA um, that you just got to go someplace and, and work on them, you know, and with Cam, it might take a little longer if it ever works out for him. So that's my little rant in the sense of like, I'm, I'm a little more empathetic to Cam's situation and to the Cam Hive. I also, they might know where I live. So this was me trying to make sure <laughs> they don't come and get me. Um, this matchup tomorrow night, um, it all rides for me. My confidence level rides on Jalen Brunson and whether or not he plays. Uh, are you if, if he plays tomorrow night, are you significantly less confident or just somewhat less confident? Uh, I think, like I said earlier, anytime anybody asks me to predict a game, it's just comes back to they're good enough offensively to win any night and bad enough defensively to win, uh, to lose any night. It sounds like De'Aaron Fox is going to be good to go for tomorrow. He had a hamstring issue that made him list, miss their last game. Mm. So ideally, we get a, a little Jerry West battle in the fourth quarter between these two guys. But Jerry West battle. I like that. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that. I feel pretty good about Sacramento right now. I think that like sitting in that two spot as much as they want to uh, say that it's, you know, taking it game game by game and they're not looking too much at the standings, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you're in the two seat Mm. and you have a little bit of an opportunity to kind of sit there. So I'd imagine they go into tomorrow and are really trying to capitalize on that and, and stay in that spot. So I feel good about it, but only about as good as I feel like I possibly can when you're still in atrocious defense, to be honest. Well, I'm looking forward to the Jerry West battle if it happens. And like the last thing I'll, I'll ask you, because you mentioned the Lakers before and we, John and I did a Patreon pod uh, earlier this week where we looked at like the playoffs and like how, what is the most entertaining first round we could get across the board? And we went, Denver Clippers at 1-8, Kings Lakers at 2-7, Golden State Memphis at 3-6, a rematch of last year, and then obviously or Golden State Memphis at 3-6 or 4-5, and then Dallas Phoenix at 3-6 or 4-5. However, that matches up because you get KD versus Kyrie, you get Luka versus Booker, you get a rematch of last year, that that second round series. Um, But those would be the most entertaining matchups for us. And obviously in the East, However, you get the Donovan Mitchell Bowl uh, between the Knicks and Cleveland. That's that's kind of what we're rooting for at this point. Um, does that terrify you? A first round matchup against the Lakers, or the fact that the last time the Kings made the no, it wasn't the last time the Kings made the playoffs. But there's obviously history with the Kings and the Lakers in the playoffs. And would you be excited to potentially play your rival in the first round? I would be with a chance to like put a nail in their coffin, you know. Right. I, I would be excited from an entertainment standpoint. Um, but I will say growing up a Celtics fan, which after talking crap about Cam Reddish is going to make me even less popular on mm-hmm. uh, from your side. But growing up a Celtics fan, I learned to never doubt LeBron James, to be honest. And that man horrifies me in a postseason series. I mm-hmm. The last thing that I want is to play against LeBron James in the playoffs. And I really do think the trades they made at the deadline make them a lot better. I don't know exactly how to feel about D'Angelo Russell, but I think the shooting that you get from Malik Beasley is pretty big and something that they very much needed. I think the defense that you get from Jared Vanderbilt is something that they very much needed and Sacramento could have used as well. So I feel good about it. 
Um, but only about as good as I would with any other matchup. Like I said, I have a lot of hesitations and my question to myself recently has been like, do I think that the Kings will make it out of the first round? That is one of the matchups I feel better about. There's that and Dallas has been the other team that stands out to me that really struggles defensively and like just get into a shootout. I will try to outscore teams as much as possible (laughs) when you're talking about the best offense of all time. Like, let's do it. That sounds entertaining. They've had a great matchup with the Clippers recently. There was that 175-176 game that was an instant classic. They just played them recently, and it came down to free throws at the end of the game and came out on top. So I don't love a, a Lakers matchup outside of entertainment aspect and sort of to reignite the rivalry, but it is one of the matchups I do feel better about. Um, but keep in mind, I don't feel great about any of them, admittedly. So I, I think we're similar in this sense that like the the way this season's gone, it's out it's it's completely outdone our expectations. But while I'd be happy with a competitive first round, there is a first round exit that will hurt enough to not completely erase what this season has been, but then we'll remember it for that. You know, like you lose the first round series to the Lakers, that brings up old wounds as a result. I I personally don't care if they lose to the Cavs in the first round and it's because Donovan Mitchell went nuts. The Knicks didn't do that trade for reasons and the Cavs did do it for reasons. And I just, I don't want that headache of like, see, what could this season have been if you traded for Donovan Mitchell? Um, but I think the point that both of us are at is like, if you get past one round, the rest is gravy. This is a season that was a step forward no matter what. And that's what we'll take as as a result. Is that a fair assessment? Just get past that first round matchup, especially if in your position as as like the two seed and the rest will be gravy. Absolutely. And okay. maybe I should update my expectations, but I guess that's just not how I've looked at this. You know, coming into the year, like I really had to fight in my <laughs> Western Conference predictions to put them at 10th. I was mm. like, man, I don't know. Like, do they make the play in? You know, so I'm still rolling with those same expectations where a very competitive first round is a dream. If if you have, I, I've in my mind drawn a lot of parallels to like what Minnesota was last year. Mm. I think they outperformed a lot of expectations. They took that Grizzlies team to a seven game series in the first round. It was a great matchup. You know, they, they had, when you get to seven, anybody can make it out of that final game. Um, now you don't, need to necessarily go make the same desperate all-in move that Minnesota did and kind of throw all that away. Mm -hmm. But I think there are a lot of parallels there. And if I'm still rolling with my preseason expectations, a competitive first round is an extremely big success for this team. And I think some people will tell you differently because they have updated their expectations more, which is understandable when you're sitting at two like Sacramento currently is. But competitive first round is all I could ever ask for. And if they got to the second round, like, that that's amazing, man. But I, I really think that these guys need some postseason experience before we're talking about a really deep run. Well, the in solidarity, um, the team I'm rooting for to at least experience some postseason success in the West this year is the Kings. And um, like I'm rooting for them realistically, and which I everybody hope, is, which is yeah, weird. they're and a fun I story. I don't know how long yeah. that'll last, but well, I'll tell you this right now. 
It will not happen. It goes away tomorrow night, as far as that's concerned, because I'm obviously not rooting for them against the Knicks, but I'll, I'll turn it back on come Friday. Uh, Brennan, it is always great talking to you, my friend. Um, I'm happy that you're covering a good team, uh, and I'm hoping the season stays successful. If you don't mind, before you go, uh, please tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, Andrew. Always good talking with you. Um, as you said at the beginning, it's King's Pulse Podcast. There's King's Beat Podcast as well. And any sort of writing is going to be at the King's Herald. So appreciate everybody listening. And it's nice to hear most people are reading for the Kings. Like I said, we'll, we'll see how long it lasts, but it's been a fun year. Listen, when you look at my other options, I am kind of rooting for Denver just for the sense of like, I'd like this three-time MVP to make a finals. Um, but I... Like I can't root for KD after all the Brooklyn history I have. I can't root for Kyrie after all the the Brooklyn history I have. Um, I guess I'm rooting for the Warriors, but like I wouldn't mind seeing the Kings make like a conference finals and be like, oh wow, regular season success story also translated into the playoffs. Like, plus it, again, there's solidarity and as the Knicks being like, oh, we haven't experienced this type of success. So I'm rooting for fan bases that have been downtrodden. You know that. Now you get to experience success as well. So fair enough. Can can I throw one more question your way? Yeah, go ahead. Who do you think the best team in the East is come postseason? Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah. It, it's same here. It, just from playing, so it, the Knicks have played. Knicks played two very competitive games against the Bucks at MSG. Both all three without Middleton. Um. So they're a different team since then. The Knicks didn't win any of those games. When they played the Celtics, there's just like, there's a clear ceiling and a clear, very low floor with them. They're the Eastern Conference champs that were two wins away from a title, but we forget how close that first round series against Brooklyn was. Like, there was a world they lose game one. They were losing in the fourth quarter of game two. Like, there was a world that, like, Brooklyn, because of their, their, Two, two guys, they could have potentially gone up 2-0 or at least tied that series in before it went back to Brooklyn. Then who knows what would have happened. There's where they lose to, to Milwaukee in that series. There's where they lose to Miami. So like there's no, there's really not a dominance I see with the Celtics. And I just, I have some narratives I have to get over before I believe in Philadelphia. I'm sorry, James Harden, but I just, I need to I, I'm not too afraid of them. So I'd have to say Milwaukee. I just, I have way too much respect for, for Giannis and he's the team that he's the team. They're the team that if the Knicks were to win a first round against Cleveland and end up facing them in the second round, I'd be like, all right, this was fun. I fully expect Giannis to send us home in five or six games. So yeah. how do you oh, feel? I, I feel the same way. I mean, you would have better perspective than me, but I feel the same way. Like, uh, like I said, I was a Celtics guy growing up, so I still uh, pay a little bit of a close eye and enjoy that team. But in my mind, if if Middleton's there last year, I think that they take the whole thing. Yeah. And I think that they should probably be viewed as the favorites right now. I agree. So same page. And look, East play- playoffs could end up being fun if we, like I said, if we get that Knicks-Cavs matchup, if you get uh, Celtics Heat, which is currently the 2-7 right now, a rematch of last year's conference finals. So... Regardless, there's enough there's enough talented teams that there's a, a very fun playoff scenarios that we could look forward to. And it will include both our teams. I am confident of that, which is not something we've been able to say over the last 20 years that often. Uh, Brennan, it's always good talking to you, man. You be good. Appreciate you. Same. Once again, a big thank you to Brennan for coming on today's show. You know what to do. The King's Pulse, the podcast, the 
iTunes link is hyperlinked in the episode description. Head on over, give them the KFS bump, five stars. You know what to do. Um, if you if you hated his appearance because you uh, have a, have feelings for Cam Reddish, go ahead, say like you hated him, but just leave it. Make sure the rating is five stars. That's all that matters. That's all I'm, I'm concerned. Let's get the bump up and just say whatever you want. Say that you don't think that uh, the clutch award should go to De'Aaron Fox over Jalen Brunson. Say like JB is him. Five stars. Good job at KFS. Uh, but seriously, thank you, Brennan, for coming on. I didn't really mention it in the intro, but this is the, the life after the the winning streak. And, you know, John and DJ Zulo have already recorded their pod, which really broke down life after the winning streak. But the Knicks are looking to start a new one, and let's hope they can do it with Jalen Brunson in attendance and on the court. Um, but we'll see. The Knicks tip off at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then uh, me and the playback, uh, the casual crew, uh, we will be on playback watching this one uh, with all of you, even though it starts way too late on the East Coast. Uh, but hopefully it's W. And then John and I will be on the post game again. Technically Friday morning, uh, hopefully recapping a victory. But in the meantime, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. Keeps us up in the top 10, top 20, however you want to keep us. Get us up to the top five. That'd be really cool if by the end of the season, we're on the top five. But until next time, thank you as always for listening to the KFS pregame show. Enjoy the game tonight, and I will speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.